our special guest today and Danny, I salute you Carly I love that that was great <laughs> pleasure to be on board wow <laughs> what energy man I love it you are going to hang on a sec before we get into it quick shout out to Mark and Skylux 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 uh, for letting us Skylux, thank you very much all God, the time you guys man. are doing roofing flat roofing roofing give siding, them a call check them out flashing, Instagram soffits, they are the bomb gutters get them to do we it. love Skylux. Thank you. Thank you, Skylux. Thank you, Mark, and everybody there. And we want to thank all of our listeners because you guys keep on growing every single day. We're feeding, we're doing the show, we're making the show happen, we're committed to it, and we want to bring as many interesting podcasts as possible. And we're talking about things nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, that's the bottom line. So today's guest, we have a architect here in the house. Danny, tell us a little bit, tell us a lot about you and how you got into this business yeah yeah for sure how i got into this business well after finishing school i know that one day i want to lead a firm or at least start my own after work i go out to events and uh, started hitting as many as i could and eventually started picking up clients on the side what i love most about the industry is basically bringing vision from idea like a sketch and concept and then seeing it built how would you do that intro how would you like go to these events and go to somebody and go listen i want to design something for you how do you do that anything after that introduction (laughs) (laughs) anything is possible true true honestly it always starts like hey i'm an architect and they're like oh i play lego as a kid I wanted to be an architect too, but I wasn't too good at physics and math. And I'm like, I ain't either. <laughs> you don't need to be. That's exactly. what the engineers are for. Absolutely. And nowadays, buildings are so complex, right? Like the whole notion of a master builder, which, which came from uh, Roman times, Vitruvius and so forth. Like we don't have any of that. Buildings are so complex. Yeah. So we need consultants here and there and all that. How long did you, like from the time, how long have you been doing it? I've been doing it for 10 years now. 10 years now. Yeah. There's a magic Since number school. here, Carlito, eh? 10 years kind of thing? You, Decade? You know what? You could do a lot in 10 years. <laughs> Yes, you can. So what you can, like we talked about this before, I said, whatever you've been doing up to the age of 40, this is typically what you'll end up continually doing. But now I'm looking at things differently. No. You can really do a lot in you five or 10 years. You can reinvent yourself. If you put mm-hmm. 100% yes. all your energy into a, something that you're passionate about, you will succeed. So where did the study, did you study? Like where did you study to? I did my master's in architecture at U of T. Were you born here? No, I was born in Taiwan. In Taiwan. And when did you come to Canada? Um, when I was nine. Nine? Parents chose Canada over the U.S.? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> There's a big smile on his I face. Like it. Uh, get it? We, we, same thing for us. Parents, our parents chose Canada over the U.S. I think the ship just... My dad just jumped off the ship and not, he didn't have a choice. He was like, land. You're like, looks, looks legit. Well, I just park our boat here. So I want to know more about, okay, the design. How was school? How was school and how was that getting that whole process? School was very academic. At U of T, there's an emphasis on the design and the research behind the uh, the actual design. Like we always start with research, understanding the sites, the uh, requirement and whatnot. And then we uh, eventually go into design at the very end. Any, and do you guys get it to, to any hands-on? Is there? There's a few courses in school, technical classes, but, but for the most part, essentially in, in design school, they uh, teach you how to think like a, a, a design partner, essentially. Like okay. A design partner and an architecture firm. And, you know, I always, uh, I always felt that yeah. way that architects are designers. Well, that's how they should be, no? Isn't that how it should yeah. be? It was only until after graduation where I actually learned things like building code. and They didn't even touch upon it. building code in school? Very, very briefly. Some programs do. Like some more technical schools out there, like Ryerson is a program like that. There's actually an entire course dedicated to the building code. But then for the most part, for um, where I did my schooling, there wasn't that much of an emphasis on that. Wow. So it was purely on like the academics of uh, design and the uh, research rigor behind all that shit. Did you, do you know that we as contractors have to have uh, an OBC, an Ontario Building Code book, both of them, parts one and two, in, right. our, in our vehicle at all given times? Wow. I'm that's, just that's like, big. I hated that thing. I, like, it, it's expensive to begin with, and there's no way you can. I flipped through it, but I'm, I don't know it. I'm sure you probably got it for free. <laughs> no, I did not. I actually had to pay for it. I have no strings in the government, okay? Not whatsoever. I, I have a serious question. Yeah. Do you feel that 
when you were going to school and now that you're hands-on in this industry, do you feel that you could have learned something that you didn't learn? Honestly, there were so many things I learned on a job and then uh, inter interacting with people outside the industry that's, that they don't teach you in school Because it's, it's different from the paper mm -hmm. to actually getting on the job site. Absolutely. Right? It's, there's it's there's a lot of things that you don't, you don't really see mm -hmm. until you're actually on the job site. Yeah. yeah. Oh, big time. If you could have done it again, what courses would you have taken to help you now? Having a strong understanding of a building code would actually be, have been ideal. Really? Because uh, here's the thing, like a, a lot of designers, architects, and, and contractors and so forth groan when they think of the uh, building code. But, really? But, uh, well, at least when I was starting out, like, like when, uh, when architects have to touch the building code, they're like, oh, we've got to flip through Are that. Are they frustrated by it because they, they've come up with a concept design-wise? All of a sudden, you're telling them you need to change your design because it needs to meet the building code? That's part of it, but I've uh, since came, come to really embrace the building code. Like it's the uh, one thing that actually keeps us employed. Like if you think about it, putting together a permit and stuff, that's, that goes through the, the building code. There has been a lot of thoughts that's gone into that. The uh, examiners at the city call the building code basically like the minimum requirements needed for a, build, a building or design. How do you feel about that? I think it's a good guideline. I do think it's necessary as well. It's put in place so designs like not like the wild west where you can have all sorts of shit going around yeah yeah like, yeah like, for like, sure well we still have that happening well exactly, we've always said exactly. what is it we've always said that the building code is basically the minimum standard to make things safe yeah absolutely building wise it's changing so fast how do you keep up because as us as contractors one day i know the code and the next day say manny will come to me and say no that changed last week i've never done that no, I'm not saying you did, but, but I've had conversations with people and, and it's, changing it's changing so fast. Like our value in, in attics has gone up to 60. It used to be at 40. Well, the provincial and, building code, the Ontario mm -hmm. building code in here in Canada is always two years behind the national building code. Mm -hmm. What I dislike about both codes is that they will not recognize each other. Mm. Which so even though you know that the national is already embraced in something, provincial won't acknowledge it. They say we won't acknowledge it until it's actually put into the OBC, which basically means there's that process. So all of a sudden you have to let them go through their process and all of a sudden they can get it approved. Then it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. We know about this, like Carlito, honestly, we knew about this about spray foam. For years and years, spray foam was always a negative and they wouldn't allow it in the building code and you had to build around it. You had to put a vapor barrier in front of it and all of a sudden they realized that you can't do that. Because no, because you're, moisture. You're choking yeah. the spray mm -hmm. foam. Then, But that came from the national building code. So it's just like, I wish they would just get on the same page. Why do we... I guess it's kind of like put the Winter Olympics with the Summer Olympics at the same time. It doesn't make any sense. You yeah, can't do you're it. right. So how do you yeah. keep up? Is it a lot of reading? Uh, lots of reading. And then the, the provincial building code changes every six years. So, so there is a, a bulletin that I go on once every quarter just to check things out. And what is and that? So I would I could go on. Send you the link afterwards. Yeah. Well what's yeah. do you know the address offhand or no? No. Okay. We'll put up the address later on, but so you can actually check it out and, and you can actually it. check it out and if you need to purchase any of the, the uh, addendums in print you can. Oh really? But, yeah, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's one of my big pet peeves when an inspector comes in and he says, Oh, you can't do that and you know, it's our duty as contractors or architects or engineers to do that research and keep up to the changes and they're mm -hmm. not really telling us what's changing and when it's changing right they're just saying it's changed and some inspectors can't even keep up danny when when was it that you went on your own when was it that you felt that you're ready to go on your own because i'm always amazed by mm -hmm. contractors that come here and talk to us i think every single carlito every single person has told us a story about them starting out working for somebody learning what they could and then felt that they were ready to go on their own when were you ready to go on your own so in my case i uh i was getting really burned out i was working two jobs my day job my nine to five and then i also had my uh, freelance projects this was back in 2015 or so and i was essentially waking up at 5 30 in the morning doing my my own stuff and then uh by the time I was 8.30, I put on some clothes, go to work. Wow. And then I was still going to a lot of events. And then um, eventually, I started getting really burned out. Yeah, at the end of 2015, I ended up signing a project that would essentially allow me to go off on my own. And so there was a hard decision between whether or not I'll stay at, at the day job or not. And okay. I was really wrestling with this. What ended up happening was the company I was with was uh, going through some slow times. And they actually laid me off. And I was like, you know what? This, <laughs> I'm leaving. This just solved my, my issue already. Because cause I, I was thinking in my head, like, I had no idea how I'm actually going to manage this because it was a big project. It okay. was a townhouse development. Yeah. How many units? 14. 14 units. 
Wow. Well, it's hard going on on your own. You know, you get so used to having that security of people helping you and then taking that, that leap. So was it good that someone pushed you over the edge? I think so, because what actually would have ended up happening was what I probably would have held on to the security of the 9 to 5 and continued doing it. And then... Uh, the safe, being eventually, safe. Eventually, yeah. And it was really burning me out. I didn't know what the concept of burnout meant. <laughs> like, uh, Ask Carlito. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until I fully experienced it. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. And here I am five years later. And so, how many guys do you have working for you now? We have... Right now, we're a team of nine now. Wow. So, so who's who? I have a business partner who's an interior designer. Okay. And then uh, we recently just brought on a intermediate slash senior interior designer. And okay. the, uh, the the rest of our staff are essentially junior interior slash architectural designers. So, okay. so so because my business partner is an interior designer, we do bridge the two different disciplines. Is yeah. it residential, commercial? Both. Both, both residential and uh, commercial. Can you walk us through the process from where like a client reaches out to you? I guess I'm assuming it's all word of mouth or are they finding you through your webpage? Two things. One is through direct, like just pure networking. and At events, at functions. Yeah, at events, functions. And the other is through referrals. What type of events are you attending? I used to attend like basically everything, like anything I could get my hands on. Sociable like events, social, just so you can yeah. bump into rub elbows and go, by the way, I'm an architect, I'm an architect. Pretty, pretty much. I was essentially doing it for sports. Because prior to all this, I had social anxiety issues okay. and also a stuttering problem. So okay. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to hit up as many of these as possible and then resolve it. You just dove right and in. Just dove right in. And then eventually I just got really good at it and became like a sport for me. Ended up picking up clients from these events. And I'm like, you know what? It almost seems like an organic lifestyle. Like I go out there. It's my hobby anyway. Yeah. And then I'm also doing business development. But what I realized is that the return on investment on these things isn't great. Because uh, yes, I'm going to a lot of these events events face-to-face, -face, I realized that it was more important to be selective about um, where I'm going to. So for, Why? The, the type of clients that you were meeting? Yeah. Like, like for instance, if I go to an event that's, that's say, fashion-focused, okay. then uh, I ended up meeting a lot of media people and people in fashion and stuff. Great and interesting people to talk to, but they might not necessarily need to have an office constructed or a building built. And, uh, are they are they so. fun to work for the fashionistas? <laughs> I have no idea. I never worked with one. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just curious about it. But, uh, so you met a lot of people that way, and that that's how I got started. And then yeah, so I end up becoming more selective about where I'm going to. So pick events where I uh, there's more possibility of actually meeting potential clients. So things like tech company events are always great for meeting potential commercial type clients. Got and it. then uh, also real estate events, of course, uh, more chances of meeting meeting developers or running into someone that might know someone who needs to have something designed. What do you like more? Do you like commercial more or residential more? I like working with clients that have an inter interesting design problem. Okay. So, so, so like... Solving. Um, ex exactly. And okay. it doesn't necessarily need to be which... I don't oscillate or spe specifically say I want to work on only a residential or only a commercial. Like yeah. I, I just enjoy projects that inherently have an interesting problem that needs to be so solved. So walk us through... We come into the offices at Syllable there and all of a sudden walk us through how you guys take care of a client. Yeah. So there's a few, few process. The uh, kickoff, like that's where we fully understand what they need in a space. So if it's a office client, for, for instance, we'll figure out how they work. Well, if they have a previous office, we'll visit them and then uh, see what their current setup is like. And we'll, we'll talk about what works for them, what, what doesn't work, and then ask them what it means for them to be successful. What if it's a residential? I, I, I want to take a residential because I think most yeah. of our listeners are, are kind of more residential custom. Mm -hmm. I walk in and I don't know, whatever. We could just say that we've got an existing structure there and we're going to tear it down and we want to build a new structure on there. Obviously, we want to make it bigger, more updated. How do you start that process, that kickoff thing? What do you, they're just, you're spitballing ideas with them or they're going to give you their wish list? How does that work? So, so their wish list and then there's reality. reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I was just about to <laughs> say. Oh my God. And, uh, 
they only have so much square footage. There's only so much budget, and then there's only regulations that they have to follow. So, so what kind of face things. do you put on when you hear these things, and they're coming from a client, and you know that they're not reasonable? There was a so very early on in my career, I ran into a client who who was essentially just changing their ideas, and then uh, that never happens. and and then like the scope just keeps on increasing, increasing. What and was the was, reasoning behind the changing? Well, that was because I don't think they fully understand what they want yet. So like we were tr- giving them designs that were what they asked for. And then when they see it, they're, they're, they just kept on going. And what I learned from that experience is the importance of saying no and saying early. We've like, learned that too. We, we got totally good. Was this a husband and wife? Yeah, it was a husband. So I, I've had those nightmare kind of clients where they want to build two different houses on the same lot. Mm-hmm. They want to build her house and they want to build his house, which you can't. It's physically impossible, which right? Which is supposed yep. to be the same house. It's supposed to be the same house. Exactly. <laughs> same house, but it doesn't happen but that way. But then the way. kids start to add in too. <laughs> How do you cope with that? How do you deal with the clients that are like that? So you just, you kind of, you just tell them straight out, no. Now I just tell them straight up, no. I say, look, this is the reality. Like you, you have so much square footage you can work with and you have this much budget. It's almost like a game of addition and subtraction. You want something, something is going to go. Are you like me where, I, I, like you came to this country pretty much, uh, I, actually I was a little older when I came, when you came yeah. here. Probably, where, where did you come from? I came from the Azores. From, well, actually oh. I came from France first, right? Wow. But yeah, so, but I was around the same age as Fancy. well too. Not fancy, too. It's not wealthy. There's nothing. Oh, I meant to say France. France. Right. Francy? <laughs> Francy. But, okay, I, I, like, I go back to Europe or I go to different countries, and, mm-hmm. and they have smaller homes, smaller rooms, smaller everything. And then you look back when you come home, and it's such big spaces here in North America, including Toronto, mostly in the States, but also in all over Canada. Are you kind of dumbfounded about people can't live in a smaller space? Like, are, are they, they just want to maximize the lot maximize the home and just have pure home on that lot is that a, like i think it's a cultural thing like really in north america if if you look at a lot of the houses in the suburbs and stuff it's the whole american dream in the nuclear family right like you buy a house you have a lawn you have a dog and then you have like five bedrooms that you don't even use well, and then, for to- each one. you're totally right like all my cousins that are well off in europe they don't have big houses. They have mm-hmm. nice cars. Yeah, exactly. They don't show off their money. They have big lots. They have manageable lots. Yes. Their maintenance is realistic. Yes. A lot of people here, like you said, are overbuilding, trying to... I don't know what kind of peace of mind that it makes to have a 25,000 square foot home with two people. Are we safe to say, to assume that they're begging for that massive kitchen and they're begging for that master bedroom and master ensuite? Is that like the two primary give me give me give me is that what they're always asking for they're always asking for more um living space for sure whether it's a larger living room or kitchen well i I like to back it up a little bit i think a lot of people get mixed up with engineer and architect Mm -hmm. i think that what people need to understand is that you need both even more important we're trying to open people's eyes everyone has to have an architect in any renovation when i go to get a job I'm always pushing for permits. I'm always Mm -hmm. pushing to do it on the books. A lot of people will stay away from an architect because that's legal. Mm -hmm. They want to do illegal. They want to save money. No, they don't want to pay. I think it's a combination. They don't want to pay WSIB. They don't want to get permits. I think it's a combination of both. They don't want to pay your architect fees, to be honest. And then they don't want to deal with the permit process and inspectors. You know, we're trying to expose the, the right and the wrong. All my jobs, I have to have you. So I have an existing home and then I propose to the customer what they should have or what they are capable of of handling with their budget and then you guys come in and make it realistic mm-hmm. that's when you actually put the numbers to it and say this is what you can really do what you can't and then an engineer gets involved you guys are drawing houses all the time but we're not there yet hang on a sec we're not there so you the clients come in they give you your wish list you give them a wake-up call then from there you you whittle it down to a okay what we think you want and then you guys come up with concept from there this is where the conversation starts like we we have a discussion about what's possible and and what's not. We talk about what it means for them to win, and then we work from that angle. The conversations, for instance, for one project, the uh, client wants to have more living space, more um, dining area, but he just not, doesn't have that space. So what we did was we combined essentially the kitchen and the breakfast bar, 
and the dining area all, all into one. And we merged the kitchen island. Open concept. With seating and, and all that. And then we created a space where the, the backyard patio door for the ceiling glass facade that can open up to double their outdoor living space. That was through a, a conversation with the client on how we maximize space. So it's about taking what the client wants and then looking at the reality and then thinking about creative solutions to see if we can actually... So you're using visual, you're using, I guess, uh, subconscious solutions for them to experience that they're getting everything. So you can't get this mo monster kitchen space, separate dining space, separate family space, but what you're doing is you're getting, a, I guess, the essence of each room mm -hmm. and you're combining it all together and to make it one larger space. So when they walk through that space... They feel like they've got everything that they, they asked for, but you did it in the means that they're mm -hmm. allowed to do it for the reality yep. portion of it. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, we don't shy away from constraints and also uh, restrictions. In fact, that's where the greatest creativity comes in. Like, it's, it's actually more difficult <laughs> right. to design something where, oh, you can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, what is that exactly? But when we define some of the restrictions, some of the constraints, and then think about what the client truly wants. Mm -hmm. That's where the magic happens. That's where we can design actual solutions that goes beyond, you know, just something pretty, such something that's is quote unquote functional. But what if it's something that can totally go beyond with just what the client Got initially it. intended? And then, I, okay, so from that process, and all of a sudden, uh, you're ready for drawings. They signed off on it. They're expecting you to submit it to permit, or are they already talking to you about bringing in a contractor? The initial uh, conversation, what we talk about is the, the entire process. Through that initial conversation, whether or not they need a permit has already been discussed. Okay. So, so we actually set up a timeline that has everything mapped out. Okay. If they need a permit. Yeah, if they need a permit. Not every job requires a permit. When do architects get involved that they don't need a permit? I've never heard of that. So say if it's a house and then you're, you're keeping the location of the plumbing um, for sure. If you same, do not move any of the waistlines, yep. if you don't move any load-bearing walls, exactly, you don't exactly. need a permit. Remove and yep. replace. Yeah, you're basically remodeling the place. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Or like, but you, you have clients like that? Because I've never heard of a client like that because they always want to move walls and they always want to move plumbing. Which yeah, are the that two. usually for me is just the contractor and the homeowner. For projects where we, we don't do a permit, there are simply just interior design jobs. Got so, it. So we're just changing the materials and uh, just updating the look. Do you get a so lot of clients who say that they want to bring the contractor in or you guys are making the recommendation for the contractor? So sometimes the client comes in with their own contractors, but then um, oftentimes we we tender other projects to contractors. Guys and, that you trust. Yeah, guys that we trust. And they're all like pre-qualified lists. We do our due, due diligence. We... Um, we figure out what's the contractor's strength are, and then we we send out our drawings for them to get pricing. Okay. And uh, like whatever quote that the client is getting are already pre-qualified contractors that we think would be good for the job. I always recommend my clients not not just to go with the lowest because obviously that's what a lot There's of clients do. There's a reason. Do. Like, yeah. They look at it. They're like, oh yeah, we're gonna go with. But I, I recommend go with the contractor that would do the best job. Or you feel more comfortable with, I guess. Well, the, exactly, gut, the, exactly. the gut feeling, right? Exactly. We've always said that, right? Yeah. Like, go with your gut feeling and how you feel about the contractor. You're tendering out the job. You're getting different quotes. You're presenting the quotes to the client. Then the clients are reviewing the quotes. And then they select one. And then they basically look at the contractor, meet with them, and then discuss it from that point. Yep. Oftentimes, we narrow it down to two or three. And then um, most most often just two. And okay. then, we, and then we, we have them um, interview them, get a feel of what they truly like, and then go from there. But so if you're narrowing it down to two or three, how many are you bringing in to tender? How many are you looking at? Typically f four or five. Four to five. Okay. And then yeah. you bring it down to two or three, and then the clients can decide from there. Exactly. They like, would have the final say? Or yeah. You? We give them our recommendations, but but ultimately we uh, let the f client make the final call. Okay. Do you, do you find that contractors uh, change a lot of your guys' ideas and does it become better if they do? Like how we work is we see contractors essentially as our design partners because it takes us to design, but it ultimately takes the contractors or builder to bring the designs to life. It's, it's the best when a contractor can, can interpret our drawings and then... Uh, possibly come up with better ways to do it. Yeah. So is that considered a red line then? Like you guys are doing changes? Is that an extra charge or? If there's changes that needs to be made on site, if it's drastic, like we issue change orders, or something minor, it's 
it's more of a conversation that we have with a contractor either on site through emails do you like your clients to actually do they expect you to take care of the whole inspection and the and the permit process or you want the contractor to take care of that inspection and permit process inspection do you mean like contract them in no, no, any inspectors coming in from the city, so oh, they actually look oh, at the right. job. So, I mean, are, are the clients looking towards you to take care of it, or are you handing it off to the contractor? For the most part, the contractors interface directly with the inspector, and then uh, if there's anything that requires or, or support, we're, we're there to, uh, to be there for the client and the contractor. I agree with that. So for me, customers hire me. I usually bring an engineer in, you know, for point loads. And then I bring, I'm always excited to see an architect because mm. I know that means the job will be starting soon. Yep. So architect comes in, <laughs> proposed, exi uh, existing. Uh, all of a sudden I get a permit. I don't like getting permits. I don't like homeowners getting permits. Why don't you like getting permits? I actually like getting permits. These guys are already in the office. There That's are... the best place to try your jokes, man. Because they're so <laughs> serious at the city I know, department. But you know what? You like calling in Renault Run to bring your material. No, that's different though. No, but it's not because you're you're taking time away from the job site to go run and get a permit when you can get a complete package and if there's something that they're missing, they'll probably see that and they can just, you know, call True. their buddy and say, "Hey, just change that for me." True. You know? And it gets done, take, it gets taken care of, right? The way I look at it is everyone should call an architect no matter what on yeah, every project. Of course. I agree. Yeah. Of course, man. Um, any good contractor has an architect. Do you have an engineer? Oh, yeah. Mechanical, electrical, structural, of course. In-house? Uh, not in-house, but, but, but we do have uh, people that we call up. And do you get a lot of work from contractors like me and Manny? Some, not, you know. But it's mostly from that social networking kind of thing. And, and also referrals. Referrals, yeah. Like, and like right now, we uh, actually get more business through referrals. Do you find that Instagram or anything like that helps you a lot? So we find that Instagram is a good way to essentially build um, our presence. It's also a way to, to essentially communicate our expertise. Like through our posts, we... Uh, like to talk about the design issue and then how how we we come up with a solution for that. So yeah. every post is driven to be and and also designed to be a value driven. Well, we get a lot of contractors on the show and we talk to them outside of the show that they get a lot of work. They get a lot nice. of leap of faith, trust work from their social media, specifically mm -hmm. Instagram, right? Yeah, and it certainly helps. A client, for instance, who's not that familiar with our work, they uh, see your Instagram post yeah. and they uh, website and not understand what we do. Yeah. And the Instagram is a great way to just show personality as well. That's exactly, well, yeah. 100%. I wanted to lead to that. We all have our own trademark. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows Manny goes above <laughs> and beyond oh, yeah. with everything he does. <laughs> I'm known as the guy that cleans up jobs that people screw up and that needs to be finished and nobody wants to go in and knock those off. What's nice. your trademark? You must be known for something that you always carry in your architecture. So we don't have a specific style just because everything we, we do is, is, is so client-driven. Um, driven, yeah. So, so, so we call ourselves syllables simply because kind of like how words or individual sounds that uh, don't mean anything, but when they come together, they form meaning. That's essentially how we work. We see everyone as, as collaborators. So I would say our trademark is is t simply maximizing everything that a space has to offer and uh, come up with creative so solutions based on what the client needs to bring. But you, you have yet to meet the same kind of client, right? Like you're getting clients every, every coming client's in, different. bringing yeah. in different kind of problems. Exactly. And then you guys got to solve them in different situations, right? Mm -hmm. Different ways. Yeah. But that's the whole nature of the bit. I mean, like... I. I know there's a lot of successful guys out there that are building the next, you know, shaker style kitchen. It could be the 100th one or the 1,000th one. As long as the customer's happy. It would drive me crazy personally, <laughs> but I get it. I get it. But I mean, I, I kind of like your, your, Danny, like I kind of like the way that you looked at a syllable, whereas you bring in different people, they come in, they have their different problems, you solve their problems and you, and then they're happy and they move on. Then somebody else comes in with different problems and starts all over again. I like that angle. Thank you. I like challenging architects. I like, like yourself, I like to do most of the designing, the, the wall moving, like where I want to do the overhangs or uh, how big a window should be. I typically just get the customer to just deal with the architect just to get the job going so I can take it and control it. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you got a question there? Well, I got a couple. Go ahead. <laughs> shoot, shoot. What is the difference so that everybody knows an engineer, an architect, and a contractor are in construction? So what an architect does is uh, we translate ideas 
into drawings. And the, the contractors takes these drawings and builds it. What the engineer does is making sure what is proposed also works. And every engineer is different. Like a structural engineer, what they do is they calculate the different dead loads and live loads within the building and uh, propose structural design that works with what we're proposing. Mechanical deals with HVAC to make sure that the uh, interior air quality is sufficient. It's always a challenge for open concept designs and buildings. Mm -hmm. And you can see that, I can guarantee you that most HVAC guys are bald. They've just pulled all their fucking hair out just because of that. It's like open concept and they want return and also airflow and heating and cooling and they have to make it suffice. Right. And then a lot of glass, Mm -hmm. a lot of glass. So those two factors kill mechanical guys. They just Mm -hmm. like they're they're pulling their hair out. So, yeah, I get it. And then the electrical as well, because I guess a lot of clients are asking for a lot of illumination. They're like going ballistic now with accent lighting, all kinds of lighting, task lighting, you know, practical, everything at that. So I can only imagine what the growth list is on on these days i want to lead towards what are the trends going on in residential nowadays what's going on like what are people i'm assuming they're asking for a lot of glass i'm I'm assuming they're asking for taller ceilings i'm assuming they're asking for bigger spaces they're asking for all these open voids and then they're also asking for sound like do you you get into that whole world do you get into that conversation with clients about sound transmission and also you know building envelope and how serious they are with it that's a good point you know like neighbors being so close to each Mm -hmm. other like these are all things that we're so aware of and we kind of but everybody has a different mousetrap when it comes to this world are you guys recommending that like to people to clients so um i'm going to touch upon acoustics it's uh, not huge not something that a lot of people think about. If it's a commercial application, we uh, talk about the, the need for acoustical performance. Like if you're in a boardroom, you, you don't want echoing. You, you want to be able to hear each other talk. And same thing with, rest, with restaurants as well. And if you're in a residential space, you know, areas like washrooms or possibly uh, bedroom walls. You might Was that Alexa? Hang on a sec. Was that Alexa? What's going on there? I don't know. We are in a live <laughs> shop. And, and the Sorry, truth Danny. is, there is a little bit echoes in here, but that's good. It's a live shop. Speaking of acoustics. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a roofing workshop, man. Uh, sorry. So, yeah. So, acoustics. And, yeah, it's true because you mm-hmm. want to be able to communicate with everybody. In terms of trends, like, it's, uh, it's, it's not something that we're that concerned with. What we like to do is think about how we can make the, the look and the functionality timeless. So it's like the difference between fashion like and style, right? Like fashion, you're always thinking about what's the what's the, the essentials of the season and so forth. But you're really just buying shit that you don't really need. Whereas style, you find something that works for you, something that is truly personalized to you. I yeah, agree. I totally agree with that. So like Manny was asking, what is the big trend right now? Honestly, the, what we look at is how do we personalize that space for the end user? People are That's, still not conscious of like, we're worried about we want to sell this property. Otherwise, they'd be going a little creative it, crazy. It, it really depends on the client type. Like okay. for, for instance, if it's a, a developer that simply wants to make profit, then a lot of times the key question is, is to ask, like, how do we design something that sells? Very different than for a, a commercial client or... or uh, design their office, then the question is, how do we create the most productive environment that uh, keeps your employees happy and productive? Then if it's a restaurant, then the uh, it's, it's more about the feel of the space, right? Like how do we deal with traffic flow? How yeah. do we deal with the, with the ambiance of the space? And uh, another overlooked part is also lighting as well and, and ambiance, like the color temperature. And I got gotcha. think about How often should homeowners be renovating? Like if they just built a brand new, let's say they just gutted a whole house right now. Mm-hmm. When is the next time that they should actually be considering we need to remodel the entire house again because we're so fed up with this now? Like what, what is that period? Is that 10 years? Is that 20 next years? Jackpot. <laughs> next jackpot. Next <laughs> jackpot. If they're hiring you. Uh, well, well, their home is like a template for how they want to live, right? So if they outgrown who they are as, as individuals, then then that's when they remodel. Like your space is a physical embodiment of who you are. When you've evolved and, or if you want to reinvent yourself or if you're like growing a family and the functionality is different, that's when you remodel. That's a very good point. So I can, I can assume that a young couple with brand mm-hmm. new babies would probably remodel at that time. And then once the kids are old enough and they've shipped off out, mm-hmm. then they'll probably think about remodeling at that time, which will probably be about 20 years or so. Absolutely. And then it'll cater to them as an older couple. I find that a little bit risky. A lot, of, ta- a lot of times when I'm dealing with my customer, mm-hmm. 
I try to tell them to keep it realistic. They don't know when they're going to get sick. They don't know when someone's going to die. They don't know when they're going to have a divorce. They don't know when they're going to again with a divorce. <laughs> really? Yeah, these are realistic things that happen. You know, today you and me are friends. Next week, I'm not talking ah, to you. That's no, I'm just saying it. It does realistically happen. And when you put so much money and time in personalizing something a little bit too far, mm-hmm. I think that it could be a potential disaster and and getting your money back yeah well well i think it's a fine balance right like if you're if you live in a space and maybe you only want to live live in that place for five or ten years or so then you might think about what is the most commercial viable, viable solution how would it sell like and so forth but then again would that compromise with the way you want to live yeah i i heard you saying a lot about kitchen living room and dining room I'm finding a lot of people aren't using dining rooms anymore. And I'm finding a lot of the more asked questions are larger bathrooms and bigger walk-in closets. Is that something happening? Bigger walk-in closets is always a, a wish item. Really? Like, Almost the size oh, yeah. of a bedroom. It's like, yeah. Oh, and yeah. what I'm leading to is like, so I know people that have had three bedroom, I'll just use condo, mm-hmm. uh, three bedroom condos, and they're turning them down to one bedroom condos. Yep. yep. Is that really? You, yeah. Wow. I've actually had a, a friend who, who is doing that. Like she's converting her two bedroom condo in, into essentially like the ultimate bachelorette pad. Wicked. I so, love it. So that other bedroom has become her closet. That other bedroom gets absorbed into her Got now it. master bedroom. Got and it. then she has like a reading area, big, bigger closet. Instead of having a, a shower in her uh, second washroom, that one's being cannibalized into the master ensuite. Nice. Into a four piece. And then that washing just becomes like a powder room. Wow, they're actually asking for four pieces. Oh, yeah. Really? It's a bit luxurious, but hey, why not? So here's my another question is that we've all been trying to, we're talking about big homes, we're talking about people going beyond what they need, mm-hmm. um, you know, always trying to you know, reach that dream list, that wish list. Realistically, more people are going bungalow now, aren't they? Like instead of second floor or third floor, like I'm seeing a little bit of a change in construction. A lot of, I'm seeing a lot of people doing are you, bungalows. Are you saying that they're bungalows. purchasing? Well, I'm, ju- I'm just seeing houses are getting smaller. Like we're talking about condos already. I'm, I'm finding mm. that people are, as much as it was growing and people are getting bigger homes, now I'm finding that people are going to smaller one level homes. Do you see that happening? I see a lot of clients actually converting their uh, property into like uh, triplexes. Like that happens a lot for, really? for wow. like investment uh, property purposes. Like they'll convert the basement, of course, into an income property. First level is another unit. And then you have the top level being the, the, the third unit. So the kids so. have moved out. They don't need the extra space. They don't want to move. Let's remodel it. Have a triplex. Rent it out and so forth. Yeah. And make a lot of money. So, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's the uh, increase in, in, in housing prices and there's only so much land, right? Yeah. So. You're crazy. so right. It, it's happening. People are talking about how do you survive? How do you mm-hmm. own a house in the city? So you're finding a lot of your, your customers are actually changing houses into triplex and sixplexes. We've been, yeah, we've been getting sixplexes. Well, that's what it leads to. <laughs> a triplex leads to a sixplex. A sixplex no, leads no, to no, a twenty-five. Not in plex. a residential area. No, no, it would be a triplex at the most, right? Well, it depends on where you live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Danny. How do you like your relationship with contractors? What do you expect from contractors? Like, how do you want to interact with contractors? I like to interact with them as they're part of my team because because okay. they. They build out our designs, so so we see them as a partner in the uh, projects and and a collaborator. I respect what contractors bring to the table. They're they're the ones on site doing the work. What they see on the site is is essentially essential to the finished products. You know that we get a lot of contractors that say that you know as per mm-hmm. contractor, right? So a lot of architects are nice and as per contractor, but you get on site, you got to try to scratch your head and try to figure out how to do that as per. Do that, or do you have a lot of that, or like you try to answer as many questions as you possibly can in the drawings, so then when it gets to site, the contractors pretty much can read mm-hmm. it and it's good to go, right? Yeah, we make it as uh, as as detailed as possible. And okay. then there, there are site conditions that need to be verified on site, like uh, dimensions and so forth. You know, we had a note like contractor to verify on site and, and so forth. How many visits do you usually have at a, a, say a residential home working with a contractor? 
really, what are your expectations of yeah. how many visits? So that really depends on the complexity of the projects. Like I, I find that if it's a addition slash renovation, oftentimes there's more visits simply just because when demolition happens, you find more there's problems. Problems, yeah. There's problems in the existing so that needs to be resolved. So it, it's it varies by the by the project. When you so if I'm a new guy and I've just mm. called you, yep. do, do you have like, how do you work with a newer guy versus a guy that you're already working with? Like a newer contractor? That's right. Are you a little bit more lenient to do more visits to help the relationship start? Yeah. I find that with, with younger um, contractors, they're, they're more, they document everything. And then uh, it's, it really depends actually. That's like what you're we, finding. Yeah, like like they they there's one contractor who's fairly new in the, in the industry, and then he was very involved in the process. He was sending us a lot of updates. Is that because you felt like he was learning, or you felt like I he... felt like because he was passionate about the project. Nice, yeah. that's good to hear. And that's what you want, right? Exactly, exactly. Someone um, really gives a shit. That goes back to the team plane. Yeah, when you're looking to bring on a contractor or a construction company. What are you looking for in those contractors? It varies on the job. If it's a commercial property, it's about like how, how much they understand about those type of clients. And then if it's in the building that is you know, shared multi-unit, how much experience do they have coordinating all that? Okay. So it's, we, we think about the project type and, and we think about whether or not they're, they're suitable based on their, their uh, past experience, temperaments, and, and also temperament where they want to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there slipped it, out, Manny? <laughs> it, it, uh, is there a stigma? Like, would you guys, because uh, I've had this question asked of me a lot of times, the younger guys, they, mm -hmm. they feel that since they're just getting started and they may only have two or three years experience, but they're still good. They're mm -hmm. really good and they're passionate. They're hungry, but they get a stigma attached to them where either the clients or the architect or the engineer may not think of them as, as experienced enough. So have you seen that? Have you seen that kind of stigma attached to the younger guys? I wouldn't say so. No? It's, I find that clients often do their own due diligence. Like they'll, they'll interview them. They'll, they'll even go see their past work. Okay. And then uh, experience is a critical component. But I find that for the most part, it's, it's about um, whether or not they think they would be the best for the job. Yeah, you go back to that gut feeling because we've always mm -hmm. joked about how none of us have had, had really an, an opportunity or needed to actually mm -hmm. pull out a resume. Yeah. You know what I mean? For it's sure. like we our work kind of speaks for ourselves. Absolutely. So if these young kids are actually doing really good work and they're building themselves up and they've got a great social media following, uh, like not engagement, like people mm -hmm. are seeing the mm -hmm. work there, yeah. but then they meet them and they're going, look at them going, you look really young. Like now I'm nervous about you, but I think that if they prove themselves that they do quality work in their passion and they work with others and their team player that the clients will overlook that that age thing mm -hmm. right because i think that I'm, I'm glad to see like i'm really happy to see that there's a lot of 21 22 year old guys mm -hmm. that are actually taking some big responsibility and taking awesome. on some big jobs to get that experience because they want they're, they're passionate about it so mm -hmm. i want to see more of that but i don't want them to lose work because they think that they're young yeah. They're too young for the job, right? Well, I don't want to see them lose money. Sometimes True. when you're young, you get into bigger projects. You'll take whatever you can, take the opportunity. There's the no factor. That's like like Danny was saying and earlier. You, make, you learn how to say no. Yeah. Well, but I think that you find that a little bit more when you've been in, into business for a few years. True. You start True. to learn to say no. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you're working for free. And, it, and why go to work when you're not making anything? Yeah. Have you done a job, because I know that you have your own in-house interior designers, have you done a job where the clients have brought the interior designers to the table? Yes. And how did that go? Totally fine. Like, like we see them as part of our team as well. Got and it. And then we're, we're coordinating, coordinating our drawings. We need uh, specifications from them. We request it. And uh, yeah. So no dirt, not, no, mm -hmm. nothing at all, no dirt at all, like no bad stuff, no Things horrible been going clients. Good for them. <laughs> no horrible clients. Everybody's been perfect. Um, as I mentioned, like the one initial client, I think it was more on my part where I didn't set um, enough boundaries. Got it. Because I think things like this are all within their control. Is that yeah, when you say right. boundaries, is that extras? Yes, extras. <laughs> and all right, because yeah. that's a that's a big key word in my and Manny's mm -hmm. world. What are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> you know, for example, I'll have one of my guys painting in a house and mm -hmm. I'll go get some material and I'll come back and then all of a sudden I see a door being built <laughs> and I go oh that hey, kind of extra, that kind of extra <laughs> what are you doing 
<laughs> and they're like, well, the homeowner wanted me to put this door in. I said, who's paying you, me or the homeowner? So dun, there's, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of extras. But there's got to be some good stuff there. You got to give Nothing. me something. <laughs> Nothing. Even in there school? Was, there was one instance where the, it was a project where the uh, client, this is their first time doing a project of, of their own. And then uh, they, they had a contractor on board, um, et cetera. And they, the clients were just making a lot of decisions on the flight with the contractor without us actually knowing. Wow. And then uh, there, there was actually one. I hate that. Yeah, there was actually one instance where pieces were missed on the site. And like, for instance, there was a light bulb that we specified. It was for a, a lighting installation. And then we specified the type of lights. Uh, for them to find and the contractor couldn't find it and then uh, just use the uh, standard halogen light that came with it oh you can't do that when, oh yeah and th and then uh, when it was all installed we're like yeah why was it there and and then so what we ended up doing was we we ended up just simply finding it specifying it and then buying it for the client and, and then just installing it on site to show that it actually works got it so so like that's that's more of a lack of communication that's when, all it is when we're you know um left in the dark they were making decisions well, uh, I spend so very little time with architects. Mm. Like, like I said, usually it's, you know, 70% customer, 10% engineer, mm -hmm. and the rest is really pretty much architect. 20%? And, yeah. And I, and that's only because that's the actual drawing. And if I'm confused and I need to make a call or send a pick, or like you said, I start doing the demo and we're... Mm -hmm. We may have done exploratory holes already to like yeah. see a point load and you know, you've already talked to engineer and put it into the drawing that it, this is how it's set mm -hmm. and I need some help and it needs to be changed. You guys are very little there. Like really like you come to do the measurements, you do a, a proposed drawing. Is that the normal mm -hmm. case, like, is that is that normalcy there? Is that the idea that the, the architects are hardly ever on site or you like to be on site? I personally like to be on site when when there's key decisions are being made. Like okay. design. Yeah. Design like, key. Where I'm talking about like, just the architect end of it. Because you, mm -hmm. you have a very interesting company. You're not just an architect, you're also a, more of a designer yeah. too. Mm -hmm. But more like the architectural part. I really only see you twice and maybe call you five times <laughs> uh, <laughs> well you're talking about the type where so so architect will go on site when the framing is up and then another time when when there's so there key milestones the keep on the stones sign that you get in there yeah yeah like we uh we typically schedule in uh, uh, three to five site visits and then uh, that's the, that's part of the initial contract with the client and then if more site visits are, are required that's extra sites yeah yeah that's extra are, but but we find that we we often go on site more than that are clients these days, are they getting more tech savvy? Like go back to that acoustic thing. Mm -hmm. Are they being conscious of building envelope? Are they being conscious of all these things that what we call the stuff that you can't see, mm -hmm. but the stuff that the three of us believe that energy efficiency. Exactly. Right. Are, are they conscious of this stuff or they rather spend the money on other big ticket items that they can see? So there's two type of clients. One that are um, essentially informed, like they, they either do their own research or they have some experience in doing that. And okay. Another or, one that's, but research doesn't mean it's right. What yeah, exactly. Research. Exactly. But, but, but they'll propose ideas and then they'll actually review the drawings. And then there's another type of clients that do not know how to read drawings at all. So, so like the stuff that we, we give them, they might see it. But they won't fully understand it. We so, used to we used to have this little trick back in my film mm -hmm. days where um, <laughs> on the camera you'd have the viewfinder, yeah. But uh, you could always close the viewfinder, so close it like a, like a shade, right? Mm -hmm. Because you didn't want any light to go through it, because then you wouldn't be able to see the image. But whenever you got a kind of uh, informed or uninformed yeah. client, so to speak, they want to take a peek. We would just do a joke where we automatically would just close the shutter, the eyepiece, mm -hmm. and they would take a peek, and then we would ask them, how's it look? And they would say, yeah, it looks great, because they didn't want to look yeah, like they didn't. Oh, no, <laughs> this was a running joke. And it was a, it was a test to find out, okay, would they say, I can't see anything, it's closed, mm -hmm. or would they say, no, it looks pretty good, and move now on. Now the joke's over. But that's, it's just, <laughs> and I'm sure it still goes on to this day, but I, I'm sure that it happens the same way in architecture and also building, where clients rather just agree with you Instead of say, well, no, that's not really, I want to try something else. But 
it's their home. It's their money. Mm -hmm. Why not just educate yourself a little bit better properly mm -hmm. and educate yeah. yourself, right? So don't get all the information from every source and then try to figure out your own version of that reality, mm -hmm. right? So I just, uh, do you see more of those kinds of clients? You're seeing more of the clients that are informed and they're actually coming to you and going, you know what? We are conscious of building envelope. We are conscious of energy efficiency. Are we, we are conscious of all these things that we don't see, but are critical. Yep. You're seeing more so of So I think I've, my experience... I've personally encountered more of the informed type clients okay. where, where they, uh, they, they're conscious of, of what is being built. They're conscious of what we're proposing. And then, uh, and good. And the thing is like, not, not every, every, even with informed clients, I find that some can't read plans. Some just can't read drawings because they're, that's not the way their mind is wired. And okay. then the, that's where the 3D models and the 3D renderings come in. Then at. they understand yeah, it. Exactly. They exactly. can visualize it at that point. Exactly. So What's their biggest concern is that when they're looking at drawings, they can't visualize whether or not that room is large enough or correct enough for them to be happy. Is that the idea? It's when we get into like interior elevations, they're looking at it. They're like, oh, why is that place there? What? And so forth. What do you like to... Okay, so... Uh, out of all the stuff that you've been doing, what is it that you really enjoy that you want to do? Like project types? Yes. I love spaces where a lot of people use. So, so like, multi-use spaces. Multi-use spaces and uh, like... like Very functional like, multi-use space. Yeah. Like I, I love designing what's um, known as like the third place. Like you have your work, you have your home, and then you have the place that you go, you go in between. So like things like restaurants, uh, social spaces, those... Those are ones that I find super interesting because a it's lot kind of, of people use it. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I interrupted. Sorry. Yeah. No, I it's liked, actually. I very, liked where you were going with. Yeah, it. it's a very valid mm -hmm. point because that's a, that's actually a challenge. Mm -hmm. To because you have to have individuals use it. You have to have several people use it. You got to have a mix of both using it. So yeah. that's a challenge right there. Yeah, those are always the funnest to to, uh, to work on because you're trying to wrestle with uh, different restraints and different end users. And uh, the creative challenges, they are just more interesting to work on. It doesn't sound residential. It sounds like you're like commercial. Another thing me and Manny keep mm -hmm. talking about, and you know, I'd, like, I'd love to hear your pin on it, the most interesting things that have come into construction come from commercial. Do you mm -hmm. agree? Residential construction. That's right. Like yeah. I find, like we've been talking about this and we just find that some of the best ideas or some of the coolest, hippest looking homes are all coming from commercial. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same way? I feel, yeah. Yeah, big time. Do you think they spend more money in commercial than they do in residential for, for sure. technology? Oh, big time. For sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure they do, man. So it, it's, what, it, it's a money-making building. Yeah, it's a sheer... Like, right? Your home is not a money-making building. It is over time, but it's not a money-making building, right? Well, it's, it's interesting what he's saying. He's finding more clients making triplexes from single-dwelling homes. True. I love that because it makes sense. Why move out, go to an old folks' home? Yeah. Rent but, it out. But for me, what happens to the neighborhood when that's happening? Who cares. Yeah. I do if I <laughs> live there. I like right now I live on an amazing block. It's it's um it's old, it's new money you could, now. You but could fit a, a nineplex in your house, man. Uh, but the street is beautiful, old mm -hmm. architecture. And then we have some buildings that are, you know, kind of been thrown in the mix, and there's a lot of problems around those buildings. That kind of leak out into mm -hmm. the into neighborhood people stealing things, people going into our backyards. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and what I'm leading to is sometimes you have a beautiful residential neighborhood, you lose that when it goes commercial, right? Going into that conversation, like one one trend that we're actually seeing is the rise of the entrepreneurs. Okay. And uh, Intuit did a study that by 2020, 45 percent of the workforce in Canada are going to be freelancers, self-employed or on-demand workers. What percentage? 45 percent. So that means only one that that's close to like one in two. Yeah. That's why we see a lot of co-working spaces just popping up everywhere in the city. I actually think what we're going to see more are live work units. For sure. Like, I agree with you. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. I kind of I think it's really cool. So I what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to all these commercial spaces then? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with zoning because, okay. uh, I mean, what, what you can do right now is um, you can have like a occupancy type, type residential zoning where you uh, work at your home, mm -hmm. but then bring clients and uh, like say running a retail out of it is uh, more difficult because zoning doesn't allow for that. So I could see that. I could totally you, see that. Do you see the bylaws getting 
easier or harder now that you're saying yeah. that? Cause for me, I don't like, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it as an entrepreneur. I love it that a contractor could have his truck and his shop underneath and live mm -hmm. upstairs in the same, same dwelling. It's energy efficient. You're not traveling You're home. You need to build something You go downstairs, but mm -hmm. what are happening with the bylaws? Does that mean that they're you, changing every day well, because even changing, the laneway, yeah. the, laneway garages, the laneway garages are all being converted into rental properties. Yeah. Like we, we need to do that for sure. I mean, that, that came when the, uh, new chief city planner, Craig Linton came on board and said, Hey, we actually need to provide more housing within the city. Yeah. So, so the, uh, the bylaws for laneway housing was essentially relaxed and put into place. A lot of homeowners are jumping on board into that. I 1000% agree with this yeah. because these are all dwellings that are just sitting there and there's, per, you know, you can use the space right mm -hmm. above. Yeah. I mean, like the uh, trends that we always talk about are simply influenced by three factors. One is the social, one is the economic, and the third one is the uh, techn technological. So if we look at what's happening in society right now and, and with, with just like with space, there's a lack of space happening. And so uh, that's why laneway housing was uh, put in, in, in forth as, an, as, a, as a solution to uh, make usage of all those laneways and garages that are simply being underutilized. So as, as we, we move towards as a society, I think um, how we live and how we work is going to be affected by so, those three factors. Yep. No. So this is interesting. I like where you're going with this. So I saw it going from a three three bedroom home to a single dwelling, like one bedroom home. Now I'm starting to think that we're going to take another turn and maybe getting into tiny homes. Is that something I you're already getting into? That won't take off. I don't think it's going to take I off. I think we're going to go into like smarter homes, like homes that are um, more small and efficient, more minimal and more functional. Going back to the whole societal trends, like where a few years ago, it was Asia consumerism. We just keep on buy, buy, buy. And then the whole hoarders came about. Yeah. Like people are buying self-storage spaces that, that they're renting to store stuff that they don't, they don't even need. Then the, yeah, you saw a rise in actual people building storage mm, places. Exactly, exactly. So, so now it's more the minimalist movement, or uh, where I think it's also affected by mindfulness, meditation, and so forth. Where so, so as, as a general is realizing that having clutter, like mental and physical, isn't is not healthy. So we're going so just, backwards now. Yeah, to, to, to be more minimal and be more conscious of the way we use space. Yeah, so like so. my grandparents, they were mm -hmm. very simple. They had two pairs of shoes. Mm -hmm. One to go to work and church and a nice pair to... How many pairs of shoes do you have? You don't even want to know. I've I got know. snowboarding boots, <laughs> dirt biking boots, mudding boots. I've got my work boots. Uh, I can keep going Podcast on. Boots. Ten pairs of dress shoes. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's not realistic, but it, I've been thinking about it and I... Me and my wife have been trying to downsize everything that we have in our life mm -hmm. to make our life more enjoyable and more simple. And the more we release and get out of our lives, I feel a weight lifting off of yeah. us. You kind of live this like fantasy dream where big, 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 you know, you want to buy everything except for tools, of course. Mm -hmm. tools. You can never have in my industry too many tools, tools. always <laughs> make you money. <laughs> All right. So, Carlito, we got to wrap this up. So, he always has a few questions at the end when I tell him we got to wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> so, shoot. Notepad so, I'm, shoot I'm, the questions. I'm just interested. <laughs> Did you build a lot of models when you were young? Um, I did. I knew it. Were the <laughs> army models? No, they were Lego. Were they? Models. I I I thought for sure you were doing like bombers and like planes. I and did stuff like, like big that. robots. Like did you? Like robots. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was into grandizer and stuff oh, yeah. like that. So yeah, nice, nice. Uh, um, we all did. So if you could change something in the industry for construction. What would it be? I mean, we're still building wood timber homes and so forth. That's it's insane that we are. Been around for. Uh, are you days. are you laughing at that? Yes, yes, very much. I think I think we're ripe for a disruption. What I would like to see is is more intentionality in, in the way that we build things. So you see concrete and metal? Not so much. I, I see like really cool high-tech stuff tell me what you would like to see being built or what do you see coming up what actually the question is really what country is doing what you're liking i think germany and japan there we go if we look at those 
two countries as models of uh, how we should be building. Like it's they they have the the, the coolest, most cutting edge stuff. And what is like what are we looking at? We're gonna get into in the next twenty years in in homes. Just kind of like you know, looking into the future, what do you see that's going to happen in homes? More integrative technologies, like modular. Yeah. Modular and then uh, integrated technology that's within the home itself. And so wall yeah. panels that have certain features in them. Yep. And then, yeah, I, I agree. How about building materials? Do you see us getting away from wood? Don't think we'll ever veer away from wood. This is North America, man. Yeah. Uh, as an architect, do you like concrete homes better? Metal? Or wood, because you are a commercial guy. So I'm, I'm asking because I, I want to see where you're going to kind of go. I'm a big fan of concrete, but at the same time, I, I think where we're at, wood makes the most sense. I'd like as much as we laugh about wood, like the, it, it just makes a lot of sense to continue using it. Timber strand or yeah, right. And what I would actually like to see more of are hybrid timber type, type buildings. There's the uh, like engineered timber. Yeah, engineered timber. It's it's actually non-combustible. Okay, and it's yeah. also salvaging what's yeah. already been torn down or what's going to be torn down, right? Mm. Well, it's material that's being used from off-cut it's material. It's recycling. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what's and with great the glue it. and the pressure, it's 100 times stronger. But it costs a lot more. That's the problem. So and you it, try to convince a client to actually increase the, the, the lumber budget, lumber package by twice, yeah, sometimes three but, times. But it's about education again. Something I like, agree. But something like that that has no bellies. It doesn't clients, have a warp. They don't see these things. Because no one explains it to them. It's our job as... Uh, mm -hmm. business owners to i mean any more questions yes um <laughs> if i'm someone young coming out of school and i wanted to get into construction or become an architect uh what are your simple steps that you think could help somebody out do a bachelor's program that has a technical element tied into it and then do a master's program that's that's very conceptual that way you can get the best of both worlds. You get a balance. Yeah, exactly. Get a balance. And then while you're in school, um, get your BCIN, which is the... Oh, uh, but that doesn't do much anymore. That's only certain... That's there's a very low standard, right? Of like structural? No. Uh, well, well, BCIN um, basically allows anyone to snap a drawing. Yeah, but you, like, I mean like you could do like... Uh, a yeah, simple doorway and a smaller header. No, no, no. You're at, stand. The, the BCIN it cuts off at a certain size square uh, structure, right? Yeah, 300 square meters. 300 so, square meters. So, like, you can still design a, a small house and so forth. Or a but, basement. But I'm something. saying that for students who even look at that, that puts them way ahead of yeah, everyone. And for it, sure. It really allows them to, to, to understand the regulations and why things are built the way they are in Canada right now. Um, some, something you said earlier. Last question. You think that the most important thing to, for me from what you were saying is to really learn your minimum requirement, like uh, minimum standards and just understand the whole building language. Yeah. I mean, the whole building code um, emphasizes on, on two things. One is uh, safety, like fire safety, or they would get out of the building and so forth. And the next part is accessibility, which, which makes sense if you consider like the, uh, having aging population. It's huge. The, the, yeah, the baby The percentage thing. of that is increasing every year. Yeah. dramatically we all going to be in that situation exactly i'm already even in my year one of construction i was already having uh, conversations about accessibility in bathrooms mm -hmm. uh, we know what the standard looks like which very medicinal we don't want that as elders right we don't want that that medicinal looking as as fun as it is to wake up in the middle of the night and catch that infomercial in the middle of the night we don't want our bathroom to look like that exactly well right? I kind of disagree because a lot of the coolest stuff that we're building is curbless showers. That's curbless. I'm talking about the retractable <laughs> tub and stuff like that. I'm talking about like, there's yeah, got to no, be cooler yeah, ways. You can but, keep it clean. But if you can be a young architect, be conscious of that because there is a huge aging population that's coming at you. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you can start coming up with some cool ways to be that accessible, then all the great. Any more questions? Because I want to wrap it up. One of the biggest and most important mm -hmm. things for me and the message that we want to give to everyone in construction, uh, I keep telling people or me and Manny do, what ideas can you give someone so that they can save for retirement or an investment for the future? Do you have any ideas of what you could, you know, kind of like 
give someone what direction they should go. If you got a young guy starting out and you got to think about the future, what not to do or what to do or yeah, what to pay most guys attention. Don't, I would say, you you want to yeah. be in this game for a long time, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So like uh, what would you, what advice would you give your 10-year younger self then? Yeah, it's excellent. I'd save at least $1,000 every month. Every month. Every month. In, 12k in, in, a year. In, in 10 years, yeah. In 10 years is like 100 and, and 20,000. And just keep building off of that. Just keep building off of that. So be intentional with with what you're spending and but be more intentional with what you're saving so investing in. My question is do you have a retirement savings cuz you're self employed, right? So mm-hmm. that's why this this is an interesting question that Carlito always brings up because most of us in this industry are self-employed yeah. people, right? So we are not we don't have our pensions. We don't mm-hmm. have all that kind of security from working with somebody else, a big company. Uh, yeah, it's smart. Start saving that money. Be conscious of the future and realize that, yeah, you are in your 20s, but before you know it, you'll blink and you'll be in your 50s. Mm-hmm. And then where will you be at that point? So you just need to figure out what to do and how to do it. Well, I actually love one of your Manny Mondays where you tell what a young contractor to like pack their own lunch oh. <laughs> instead of freaking <laughs> it's buying true. that. You he know does what? that to like, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then, no, everybody like, then everybody was asking me what did I having my lunch and i was like uh-huh. leave me alone okay i could preach yeah, it yeah. don't ask me <laughs> okay so uh it's not it's not a question everybody's looking for an architect everybody needs to find someone that, to work with what is your instagram feed your telephone number contact, how do we get a hold of you who you are yeah yeah for sure so our instagram account is at syllable.design s-y-l-l-a-b-l-e dot design and you can find us on our website at www.syllable.design as well and, and then the email my email is dt at syllable.design cool any and phone numbers phone number you can, <laughs> can give I up the phone that? number if you want uh, i'm good i'll get a lot okay of leave it alone <laughs> that's <laughs> fine <laughs> danny thank you so much for joining us man a lot of questions it was a lot of it was interesting man just a lot of questions a lot of answers and yeah. trying to figure out i just feel like i'm starting now i know but we could always have, <laughs> we could always have a follow-up we can always have so we really appreciate it. thank you so much danny and oh, <laughs> he does his thing. He does his thing. So that's been another episode of the Construction Life, and we really appreciate Jenny you joining us. And please, everybody, check out his website. Give him a holler if he needs, and give him a follow on Instagram. And tune in next week for our next episode. Straight from four one six T O baby, yeah, yeah. <laughs>